0: Are indie games really stagnant? Unbraiding the words of Jonathan Blow. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law firm of Northville, Michigan, and today we're going to talk about the business side of video games. In particular, There was an article in uh, Game Daily Biz that was an interview with a fairly prominent independent game developer, Jonathan Blow, who was responsible for uh, two primary games, Braid, uh, which was a game really at the start of the Xbox Live arcade phenomenon during the 360 era. And then in this generation, a game called The Witness, which my daughters refer to as the puzzle game because it consists primarily of walking around and solving these line puzzles. And in this interview, Jonathan Blow has a number of things to say about independent game development, a number of things which relate to the business of making video games, and a number of things I think are a bit confused in the statements that he's trying to make. And so I wanted to go over them because I think it's interesting. And I think a lot of people online have reacted very strongly to the statements he makes here. Uh, And I think with some degree of justification. He makes a lot of blanket statements uh, that maybe aren't as accurate as they otherwise could be. He's clearly a person that has uh, a lot of opinions about the direction of the game industry, certainly about the games that he has made himself. Uh, But I do think that some of the suggestions and some of the comments that he makes about the direction of independent game development and the market for it uh, are maybe not incorrect as much as they are inaccurate because of the way that he frames them. So I want to go over this interview with you uh, because I do think it's very interesting. And I don't know that we've talked about the business of video games nearly as much as the law of video games over the last uh, maybe dozen episodes of Virtual Legality. And frankly, as a business lawyer, I like both aspects. And this really does touch on that kind of commercialization, what it means to market a video game, what it means to develop a game and anticipate what that market might be, and how you might become overly risk-averse about what you are seeing in the market. So, looking at this interview, it says, Casual Connect, which is the name of the conference uh, that uh, this interview was taken at, Indie development is stagnant, says Braid creator Jonathan Blow. Braid made Jonathan Blow one of the brightest stars of the late 2000s Indie development wave. Digital distribution via platforms like Xbox Live Arcade had finally opened up the walled console garden to share offbeat and esoteric indie games with the Xbox community. Blow consolidated that success in 2016 with the critically acclaimed The Witness, but feels that the initial promise of that heady time has gone unfulfilled, stating that game development has stagnated in the years since. It's easier to make a game than it ever was, he began. There are more people making games than there ever were. If you want to get into it, it's easier to get into it than it ever has been. So that's all good. I would say, say, though, that if you talk about progress as a medium, are games getting better in their own right? I'm not sure. And just taking a step back from those initial statements, I think that's fair enough. I think anybody that's looked at the video game industry in this generation, the PlayStation 4 generation, the Xbox One generation, can look at, in particular, I would say, AAA development and say... Mostly we're getting variations on the same kind of thing the same kind of first-person shooter the same kind of third-person shooter with maybe light story elements And I think anybody that wants to say maybe the entire game industry has stagnated Especially at the highest levels of spending. I think that's a conversation that's entirely justified And we've talked about that on this channel before but when you spend that much money when you have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to get a game to fruition when we're talking about triple a lot of the time you have to go and you have to try to make sure that you do have massive appeal because that's the only way you're going to get your money back. And so you do see this kind of pipelining into various genres, into various game designs. Uh, And I'm not sure that that's necessarily healthy for the industry in the long run, but I think you can absolutely see it at the highest level of video games right now and throughout this generation. Where I would say you don't necessarily see it is in independent games, which is exactly what Jonathan Blow is talking about here. So let's see what else he has to say. He says where progress has been, he puts it down to what he calls ambient evolution, which I think is a great term, actually. He says games improve gradually over time as designers have better things to look back on and refer to. I think that has generally been a constant positive trend, but there was a promise if you go back 10 or 12 years ago that once all these independent people are making games, there's going to be this great explosion of creativity and games are going to be really awesome. And I think for the most part that most developers are too afraid to actually do that. There's a small number of people who I would say actually do creative stuff, but everybody else is trying to be like a cheap AAA game. And I'm not so sure that the overall thrust of his argument isn't correct in so far as I think in general, when we're talking about people, when we're talking about even entrepreneurs that have decided to go out and make independent games, I think a lot of folks tend to want to try to do whatever the big folks are doing lightly. I think that's the easier road. You can see that there's a market for it. There's, you can see that there's a chance of that succeeding. And I do think that some developers in the independent scene wind up getting into that mold. We're going to do a survival crafter game, but it's going to be just a little bit less than this other one that has a lot of money behind it. We're going to do a battle royale game, but it's going to be a little bit less than this one that has all this money behind it because they can see that there's a market for it. And sometimes that's how people cut their teeth. And I don't want to disparage Jonathan Blow's work. I've actually really enjoyed Braid and The Witness. But if you look at those games, they are essentially kind of knockoff versions of different types of games that have existed before. Now, Braid is a platformer. It's a 2D side-scrolling platformer game with a twist. And I think the twist is well-earned. I think he does a great job with it. I really like Braid. But if we look back and we say how many kinds of games over the history of video gaming can we define as a platformer with a twist? I would bet that it's in the hundreds, if not close to a thousand at this point. And so the fact that his twist works, the fact that he has good design, he's a good designer, doesn't take away from the fact that he built on the shoulders of this previous activity. He built on the language of what a 2D platformer is, and that's normal. In the same way, The Witness, if you've played it, is really reminiscent of old-school PC adventure puzzle games. In particular, games like Myst and games that just have a mysterious location where you find a lever that you have to pull and maybe it turns a lighthouse around, etc., etc., etc. And The Witness does a great job with it. It presents a lot of new puzzles. It presents a lot of interesting things to think about. But overall, the structure of the game is based on the type of game that has existed before. There's nothing wrong with that. That is that ambient evolution, but Jonathan Blow is as guilty of it as anybody else, and I don't think it's necessarily the right thing to take that away from the current crop of game developers who haven't made their hay, who haven't cut their teeth, who haven't made their millions of dollars in Xbox Live Arcade like Jonathan Blow did. And so, I think there's a kernel of truth here. I think he's a smart guy. And I think there's a lot of kernels of truth in what he says, but he goes too far with them. And it winds up coming off as attacks on the various people that are trying to bootstrap their way up into the industry. Continuing on with his interview, he says, everybody has their own motivation, right? And this is in response to a question asking about whether independent developers are chasing industry trends. And he says, a lot of the time, it's just somebody thinks it's cool to make a game. And all their reference material in their head is like Call of Duty or something. So then they go and just essentially try to make that with differences, which is, I would say, a more innocent version of not being creative because you're being excited about something, but it happens a lot. And again, I would say that's generally how development happens. That's what evolution is. And so it's interesting to me to see him kind of commenting on it in this framework because Braid is a 2D platformer, because Witness is a first-person puzzle island game of the kind that have existed before with a twist, with as he describes it here, with differences. And so I think what he's basically commenting on or maybe even subconsciously commenting on is the fact that he doesn't like the differences that are introduced or that they're not significant enough or they're not the way that he would do it. But the fact remains, he did that. He made a Call of Duty or something with differences. And now other people are doing that because it makes sense to build off of what developers, what the game industry in general, has developed on an evolutionary basis. You see this across all industries. I have a lot of clients that are in the tech fields, they do biopharmaceuticals, they do life sciences technology, they do software, they do video games, and almost in every single instance, they are building off intellectual property research development that has existed even before their company maybe and whether or not they're licensing that in or they're just building it off of ideas that they have had that have been sparked by other concepts in the, or around the market or research institutions that's how society advances that's how these corporations work so this isn't unusual for video games uh, but it is kind of called out here in a way that I think maybe disingenuous is too strong but doesn't really take into account what he did or what is really necessary to make something uh, really throughout history, but certainly in the modern era. he says, uh, Brown, the person interviewing him, suggested that there's a greater diversity of themes and topics that games will now now tackle, but Blow doesn't agree. I don't think that's happened, he said, There was a brief period around 2008 to 2011 when that happened, and then it's been stagnant pretty much. I don't think you can just pick a topic and make a game about it and have it be a great game. It doesn't really work that way. Blow certainly seems wary of games that are made to serve a subject matter first rather than designing a gameplay system that ties in with a theme. The material of games like interactivity is its own topic. You end up jamming things together that don't really fit. I think that's what most people who try to be creative end up doing. And so I think, again, we've got that kernel of truth. I think that there absolutely can be the type of what I would consider the overly pretentious or precious independent game that has an idea or a concept that maybe would make a better short story. And they plug it into a game and they don't care about the gameplay or the interactivity or what the experience of the customer is. Uh, Some of this is happening in certain kinds of walking simulator type games. Uh, And I think he's right to say some of that doesn't work. Where I don't think he's right is to suggest that you don't have independent games that are hint- hitting at interesting ideas you don't have games that are like talking about uh, people's experience with cancer in that dragon cancer or people's experiences with bureaucracy in uh, either orwell or papers please uh, or uh, other things like that there are absolutely times where independent games are better suited to talking about either political issues or social issues or just issues that maybe have a smaller audience than a AAA game can target because of the money that's being spent there. You know, if you've got a spend of $100,000, you can make your profit. You can feed your family if you find an audience that pays you $250,000. And so that's a different thing than a AAA game that spends $100 million. And if they sold their game and it made $250,000, the entire company would go under. So... I do think you have, just by the way the market operates and the way the economics operate, the ability for independent games to reach these people, to have these different ideas and concepts that are put out in their games. And the fact is, Jonathan Blow admits at the beginning of this article, this interview, that there are more people making games that making games is more available to to a bigger group of developers than it ever has been so the natural result of that is what we would expect which is that it can hit these ideas now he's trying to encourage people to do this more to risk more and we're going to talk about why some of his advice is maybe not great uh, but he's trying to encourage people to go out on this limb a little bit more because he feels like he did that and that people aren't doing that in the development sphere Um, He goes on to say, yes, you jam in these ideas, but maybe it would make a better short story or a book. And then he references this game that I have played briefly, so I'm not the best expert on this. But he says, I've brought this up a few times. Uh, Steven's Sausage Roll, I think, is one of the most impressive games ever made. I would categorize it as doing avant-garde things with regard to controls and understanding how players see approach and solve problems that most designers would be better off if they'd been exposed to and educated about but nobody pays attention to this game that's one sign to me that these things aren't really progressing he says there are some things in that game that are really daring and go right to the heart of the interactivity of games like what is happening when you control a game and their choices that most designers would not even think to make But here's the problem with this argument. I think this is great. I think it's always good to highlight new and different and novel approaches to games. And what I'm about to say doesn't limit the fact that developers should probably focus on these things just so that they can learn from them. Uh, What my brother, who's in the game industry, generally refers to as competitive analysis. But, But the primary thing that jumped out at me of what Jonathan Blow has to say here is he says, it's a game that very few people have played. It's a puzzle game, it's pretty hard, and it does a very good job of exploring a certain space of interactivity. But let's focus on it's a game very few people have played. And when we're talking about an independent game developer, even when we're talking about full-on AAA development, one of the things that you have to decide is how you're going to spend your resources and your time. And I absolutely think developers should try to learn from every game that's out there that is remotely related to what they want to put out into the world and into the market. But if you are trying to calculate how to spend your time, how to spend your resources, which are limited no matter how big the pile is, you have to try to focus on things that people have experienced, that people have enjoyed, things that have advanced the ball. And while I think this might be great, Jonathan Blow might be exactly correct. I haven't played enough of this game to know. The fact that it's a game very few people have played means that just kind of the natural course of running a business is going to put that a little bit further down the list than it might otherwise be because you know people haven't played it you can kind of take as a proxy bit of information in your analytical analysis of the industry that it seems like it didn't resonate with people and we can look at the screenshot here and we can say all right probably graphically it's a little bit unapproachable i'm not clear what the game is uh and Jonathan Blow is trying to say, okay, that's fine. You can't identify the genre. You don't know what you're doing, but that should be a good thing. You should be wanting more novelty, and I think that's fine. I think that's right, but when we look at it and we say very few people have played it, it didn't resonate. Nobody pays attention to this game. All these other quotes that he has, I think it's completely understandable why independent developers and really every developer look at this and say, okay, maybe there's some stuff I can take from it. Maybe I can look at it in my off hours or when I'm not otherwise busy, but for right now. I need to focus on the things that people really are enjoying, focus on the directions that the industry really is going. And he talks about this a little bit, uh, about the development process. He says, everybody's always concerned with what's going on right now. I've been doing this since 1996, and every couple of years, people are panicked and interested in new things. You have to decide as a developer what time frame am I playing on? people spend most of their effort thinking, oh my God, what do I do about streaming? And not that much effort on, is this game I'm making really that good? Is it something that people will want to play in 20 years? I don't know many developers who ask themselves that question honestly. And I you know I know enough developers to be dangerous here. I have my, my book of business. I have the clients that I work with. I have uh, the independent game developers association meetings that I go to. Uh, and it's I think it's probably fair to say that some are concerned with market trends, some are concerned with trying to make sure they can feed their family, that they can keep their lights on. But more often what I see from these people who are generally very passionate, who have, are generally eschewing some other better paying form of career, whether that's in engineering or software or information technology to make games because they love them, because they did something for them in their lives that was really important to them. You see this passion in all of the IGDA meetings And I think for the most part, they do care about what it is that they want to put out into the world, what it is that they want to say about the world, and and whether or not that's in the form of a very simple puzzle game or whether it's in something more elaborate that talks directly to a social point of some kind. I think they do care about what it is that they are making more than necessarily what Google Stadia is going to do or what the most recent Iron Maiden lawsuit is about. And, And so I think... He knows more developers than me, undoubtedly. Uh, but everyone that I have experienced in my life has been very passionate about putting out a uh, good product that they care about, that they are proud of, that stands for whatever it is their company is after it goes out and is sold to people. And so I don't know that that's necessarily what I have personally experienced. And it seems a little bit um, condescending towards some of the folks that are out there trying to put out really good, creative Artistic stuff. And then he says uh, he wants to uh, detail uh, some of the things to enhance their creativity. Uh, <clears throat> in the industry, he had uh, these notions when he was making The Witness that he would bring in architects so that the buildings would make more sense to people that were experiencing the game. I think there's some good notes here. He wants people to look outside of just video games in order to enhance the experience. Uh, I think in particular, The Witness and architecture makes sense because he is building this kind of ancient society that's crumbled. Just like when you see people make movies, they often bring in folks that are experienced in uh, specific aspects of set design for fantasy movies or armor making and things like that. I think there are these places where video games could maybe do a better job of bringing in other people that have a more broad sense of knowledge. So again, there's kernel of Truth. I think he makes a good point there. He also wants to lean heavily on gameplay. This is where I disagree a little bit. This is where you see the argument uh, very often that you know games shouldn't be books, games shouldn't be movies. He's very much against cutscenes. He says uh, if you read novels, you know how good stories can be, and you probably know where game stories land on that quality bar. If you've seen film, you know how good some kind of nonverbal communication can be. But just don't expect to see one of Blow's games with story cutscenes anytime soon. I'm soundly on the gameplay side, he admitted. That's the place that is the most sophisticated. And interesting and isn't just a copy of what we see in other media it's a place where we're making our own progress I'm interested in elements of stories there are things in stories like mood character and setting all of those are individual pieces of storytelling that work well in games games are good at making settings they're good at establishing mood what they're not good at is plot so why are we copying these storytelling structures that have plot and I think the answer to that is basically that movies, the, the language of television, the language of the cutscene, as we say in, in video game land, has been proven to be able to to deliver plot, to deliver context to the gameplay that, at least for right now, game developers haven't really figured out a way to do better than. There are certainly some people exploring this in the independent sphere, certainly Things like Braid look at whether or not you can tell a good, efficient story solely, basically solely, with gameplay, and it succeeds largely, but it's a very specific kind of story, and it's a very specific way of interacting with gameplay, and I think if you want to have something that is resonant moment-to-moment, whether it's Halo or the new uh, Death Stranding game, that cutscenes can, in fact, inform how you feel about that moment-to-moment gameplay, that 30 seconds of shooting an alien can be informed by those cutscenes, they can deliver that kind of feeling. I recently played a game that I really enjoyed that was based primarily on the way I felt about the characters and the plot of the of the landscape. and that was days gone, which a lot of people didn't like but that really worked for me. And I think it would be impossible to deliver the kind of feelings that I had towards the end of that game without a lot of really good detailed cutscenes. And so I disagree with him. I've always disagreed with folks that espouse this kind of concept that, hey, if you're watching something, you're not playing it because I think it absolutely can inform how you feel when you are interacting more directly. (laughs) And that is a very important thing to do in video games, even if, He thinks they look a little bit more like movies. He says, my primary goal in life is not making money, which is an easy thing to say for someone who has made his hay with money. If that is your goal in life, you probably shouldn't be in the games business anyway because there's other places where you can make a lot more money for the same amount of work. What's most popular is not always best, and it's not even the most popular necessarily. If you look at the most popular games in the last couple of years, it's been games like PUBG and Fortnite. Those aren't story-based games. And here's where I think his market advice really gets kind of off the rails. So you do have to feed your family. You do have to make some money. It's not right to say that, hey, if you're passionate about games and you want to try to make your career here, you probably shouldn't if you care about money because you can do something else. Again, that's easy for somebody to say who made a lot of money doing video games. But – He also goes, you know, earlier in the interview and talks about Steven's sausage roll and says you should take more from this even though that nobody's played it and nobody's been interested in it till now. So I I really do think that he is sitting there as a guy that has made his hay, that made money from Braid, that presumably made money from The Witness, and he's giving advice to this younger generation of independent developers saying they need to be more bold, they need to be more creative, uh, but also they need to not worry about making money. And to me, that's fine. Hey, you want to see the industry go in whatever way you want to see it. You can espouse what you want. You can give the opinions that you want, but it's a little bit unfair to the people that are coming up that say, okay, I want to be passionate about this thing. And I want to make money at the same time, because that's how I'm going to continue to be in this industry. Because if you have two or three failures, then you have to go and you do have to be an engineer or an information technology specialist, because you weren't making enough money to live your life and to feed your family. And so I think he's giving this advice based on what he wants to see the industry become, but he's not taking into account the practicalities of what it means to be an independent developer. And then he goes on and he finishes it out with probably the the strongest statement that kind of states that view most clearly. He says, my number one beef with the younger generation of game makers is that there's this idea that making games is about being in a community. And as long as you're in that community and feel good community feelings and make games, then you should succeed. And if you're not succeeding, then the world is making a mistake. The problem is, is is that there's a reality out there, and that reality is actually kind of harsh. They don't care about your game. We wish they did, but they don't. It's nice if you have a community. It's nice if you have friends, but the number one thing is making something that is interesting to people, and I wish we worked harder at that. That's speaking out of both sides of your mouth, isn't it? If the reality is harsh, what he's talking about there is market reaction. He's talking about commercialization. He's talking about whether or not you can make money. And then he says the goal is to make something that's interesting to people, because presumably if it's interesting to people, the people are going to buy it and you're going to make money. Earlier, he says money doesn't matter. Then he says take lessons from Steven's sausage roll, even though it never made money or I don't know what its money situation is, but he describes it as not a lot of people being interested in it. And he says, I wish we worked harder at making things that were interesting. I wish we worked harder at making things that people wanted to buy. Uh, but that's not really what people are doing here. And when people when he- people talk about being in a community and they grouse about that thing didn't succeed because it didn't have enough visibility on Steam or the iOS store or what have you, all they're talking about is trying to uh, connect with other people that are going through the same thing. And so, yes, I think that independent game developers, I think that young developers, I think that young people in any market, especially ones that deal a lot with social media, whether they're on Twitter or Facebook or elsewhere – I think you can get into a situation where it becomes a little bit of a support group. You get into going in the wrong-headed directions. I think there are kernels of truth in everything that Jonathan Blow has to say here, but he says it from a wrong-headed perspective, and he says it from a perspective that has already made money and can look down and say, hey, you shouldn't worry about making money. You should worry about making Steven sausage roll. And to me, that's not good advice. It's disingenuous. And that's one of the reasons why it has created this kind of small firestorm on social media about independent games. And I think that's right. I think the overall thrust of whether independent games are stagnant is completely incorrect. And towards that end, I have crafted this list of independent games I have recently enjoyed. Let's take a look. Dead Cells, Two Point Hospital, Return of the Obra Dinn, Void Bastards, Outer Wilds, Into the Breach, Stories Untold, Observation, Masquerada, Tower of Time, Islanders, Sunless Skies, Northgard, Heaven's Vault, Star Control Origins, Frostpunk, Cultist Simulator, Pillars of Eternity 2, Battletech, For the King, Operencia, Baba is You, Cuphead, Blaster Master Zero 2, Shovel Knight, Hollow Knight, Katana Zero, The Messenger, SteamWorld Heist, SteamWorld Quest, also the SteamWorld Digs, but they're a little bit older, Divinity, Original Sin 2, Celeste, Inside, Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, Yoku's Island Express, Dreamfall Chapters, Moonlighter, Velocity 2X, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, Beat Saber, Transistor, Bastion, Pyre, Darkest Dungeon. I could have made this list much, much, much longer. The point is there is a vibrant independent game scene. Frankly, my Switch is mostly an independent games player and that vibrancy exists regardless of what Jonathan Blow says. And you'll see here on this list a couple games that you might consider as too big to be considered indie. The fact of the matter is that since Jonathan Blow was making Braid, the entire crowdfunding scene basically developed and started funding video games. And that allowed a lot of what you might consider double A or at least single A independent game development that could go out, could aim their game at a specific niche, could get essentially verification that that niche existed before they spent all the money making the game, and then they could make a game of a reasonable side. You look at Divinity Original Sin 2, it is an enormous, enormous game. It brings a lot of new ideas to the turn-based RPG, CRPG framework. I don't think that game would have been made without crowdfunding. And that is an independent game. It just looks bigger than what he thinks of as an independent game because they were able to go out and find their audience first. And I think Braid would have looked a lot different if he went out and could pitch that in a Kickstarter and say, here's what Braid's going to be and can I get some money? And I think it would have had different art. I think it would have been maybe a broader, bigger experience if he had gone and been able to identify his market before it existed. Uh, And probably the same way with The Witness. So I think when we're looking and evaluating the independent game scene in 2019, it's important to remember it is not the independent game scene from the Braid era, from the early days of Xbox Live Arcade. And while he has a lot of good things to say, and I don't want to disparage him, and I think it's important That developers have good, honest conversations with their true, actual opinions, and that they're not just beaten about the head and shoulders for having those opinions. I think that's the only way we have good educated, analytical discussions about the direction of the industry, about the direction of society. I think it's important. So I don't want anybody to take this video or podcast as a disparagement of Jonathan Blow, because I think it is good that he's out there saying what he's saying. I just disagree in certain respects, and I wanted to make that known as well. And I think reasonable disagreement, having these conversations, is the way we advance the ball on all of these things. And so I think... If you listen to this virtual reality, if you watch this video, that's what I would ask you to take away, is not just the anger at Jonathan Blow for suggesting that independent games have stagnated when clearly that isn't the fact, that there's independent games coming out virtually every week, many, many, many of which are awesome. I will tell you right now that at least a couple of them are very likely to appear on my 2019 Game of the Year list. And so I think that it's very easy to disregard everything that he has to say because it's so clear that independent games aren't actually stagnant. I would ask you not to do that. Don't disregard everything he has to say. Look at what he says, look at the kernels of truth, evaluate them for yourselves, and go forward in a direction, if you're a game developer especially, that takes those into account while also taking into account whatever disagreements you might otherwise have. And that's my virtual legality today. If you like this video, please like, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, If you are listening to it on a podcast, uh, please review it on the podcast service you are listening to it on. Otherwise, share it around. We're going to try to make these maybe a little bit shorter. I've heard from a number of people that maybe 45 minutes an hour or plus more than an hour are maybe a little bit too long for most people and sharing. Please leave comments in the uh, description of this video telling me what you think about the length of virtual legality in general, what works best for you, whether you like a longer form, whether you like a shorter form, uh, because we're continually trying to evaluate what works best for most people. Otherwise, if you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you're listening to it on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the next virtual legality.